0: Paul says, so do not be foolish. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Would you all please bow your heads and join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord our rock. And our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. So imagine if you can a very, very large sanctuary. A very, very large sanctuary. Probably four times the size of this one. And it's 7 o'clock in the morning and I am sitting in that sanctuary with three other people. It's a huge room and there's only four of us there. It's 7 o'clock in the morning and we are all there for what we call morning prayer. Something we did in seminary, I gathered with the Anglicans and Episcopalians every day during the week at 7 o'clock in the morning in this very large sanctuary to say the words of the liturgy and to read scripture together. And sometimes the room was filled with other Anglicans and Episcopalians, I was always the token Methodist, but on this particular day there were only four of us, only four of us. I've gotten into the habit of finding my own pew so I could sit by myself, I would try to enter into the posture of prayer. When the other Anglicans and Episcopals would get on their knees to pray, I would get on my knees. When they crossed themselves, I would cross myself. I learned their habits and their routines. And so on this particular day, it was raining, which made me think that's why there weren't a lot of people there. And we went through the motions, we said the right words, we read the right scriptures, and then at the very end, at the very end, instead of saying an amen, the priest stood behind the altar and he lifted up a cover. Because on the altar under the cover were the communion elements, what the Anglicans and Episcopalians call the Eucharist. And I thought, that's fine. I'm a good Methodist. I've had communion a hundred times in my life. This should be no problem. So I got in line with the other four people and we made our way down the center aisle. And as a good Methodist, You all will understand my surprise as I looked over the shoulder of the person in front of me. Because instead of taking a small piece of bread and dipping it into the cup and then receiving it, no, the priest placed a wafer on the person's tongue. And then he took a very large chalice and he motioned it to their lips. They were drinking from the common cup. Drinking from the common cup. Something that we don't do in the United Methodist Church. But I'm a good Christian. So I walked forward and I outstretched my tongue, I got my wafer, and then the priest took the chalice and he placed it to my lips and he began to pour. Now, again, I was a very good Methodist. Hundreds of communions, except I only ever tasted Welsh's grape juice when I had communion. I think you all know where this is going. The priest holds this chalice in his hand, and he begins to tilt it to my lips, and immediately my mouth is filled with this sweet and warm taste that did not register in my brain. And what was worse, he continued to lift it and pour it even more. My mouth filled up like chipmunk cheese. Filled with warm port wine. It was seven o'clock in the morning. I had literally a mouth full of wine. And I didn't know what to do with it. I returned to my pew looking like this. Debating in my head whether to swallow or to find the exit and go pour it out in the sink. But then I remember I'm a Christian. I've got Jesus in my mouth. I can't pour him out. So I got back in my pew and I swallowed. And my throat was on fire. My stomach felt like the furnace of hell as it boiled It would have been fine if I had breakfast that morning. It would have been great if I had had about five glasses of water. I had had nothing in my system. It was 7 o'clock in the morning. I just drank a whole glass of wine. And friends, I felt fine. I felt more than fine. It was the best prayer service I ever went to. When it was done, I stood up and I felt like I was dancing down to my class. But I'm sure it looked like I was stumbling. I kept smiling at people, and they would grimace because my mouth was all red and pink from the wine. I sat down. I was so happy to be in class, ready to learn everything my professor said. And every time someone got near, they'd sniff a little bit in my direction. Finally, right as my professor began the lecture, one of my best friends leaned over, and he said, Hey, Taylor, I know that St. Paul says that we're supposed to be filled with the Spirit, but I don't think he meant being filled with the Spirit's You might want to go brush your teeth. (laughs) Oh, that was the best day of seminary, let me tell you. I smelled like wine until lunch. Created quite a reputation for myself that day. I was feeling fine. Be careful how you live. Make the most of your time. Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled by the Spirit. Paul is getting to the end of his letter. He's concluding his thoughts to the church in Ephesus, and he has some final instructions. He says, time is a fleeting thing, is it not? Most of us here are all too aware that life seems to keep passing us by regardless of everything we do to slow it down. This thing we call time, it's all we've got. No one can add an extra day to their life. And so with the beautiful and finite time we have, Paul urges us to resist foolishness, to withstand the temptation of temptations, and make the most with what we've been given. And no matter who we are, and no matter what we've done, all of us will experience times of emptiness. It can manifest itself in strange and mysterious ways, but those moments come for us all, that, those times where we feel empty inside, like when our kid leaves for college, Or when all the retirement celebrations end and we don't know what to do next. When we bury a friend. Or when we come to church and we see an empty pew. And Paul knows. Paul knows that we need to fill those empty spaces, and he knows one of the ways we do it the most with wine. Now, to be clear, Paul is not standing up on a soapbox to address the virtues of temperance. Remember, Jesus loved to drink wine everywhere he went. But he is prodding and probing us with a question, even today. What's filling you? Because it's all too easy to be filled with trite and finite sounds. You, know, you come home from a hard day at work only to wallow away in a bottle. It leaves us feeling withered and distracted. Or maybe we're reeling from a difficult conversation only to waste away some money on a bad gamble. It leaves us feeling hollowed and guilty. Or maybe we're feeling frustrated by a relationship only to discover the dark and frightening temptations of the internet that leave us feeling ashamed and never really satisfied. So Paul suggests, he suggests that we fill ourselves with something else, not a temporary fix or a hit from the nearest distraction. Paul says, we should sing. We should sing. And we know today, thanks to scientific studies, that our brains literally change when we are singing. Endorphins are released. Feelings of joy and euphoria are present. When we sing, when we listen to music, something actually physically changes inside of us. So I could regale you with all sorts of stories about the power of music, like the countless times I've visited people in retirement homes, people who have no longer communicated, only to start humming a particular hymn. Mm Mm-hmm. Of a sudden, it's like the curtain of dementia is pulled back for just a moment, and someone who has not communicated in days or weeks or months starts to sing, vocalize words that they haven't in a very long time. Or I could tell you the story from Acts 16 when Paul and Silas are in prison and they're singing, they're holding hands and they're singing together as they're in chains, and God makes an earthquake happen that releases them from jail. Or I can tell you about the time John Wesley was on a boat traveling from England to Georgia. And a horrible storm came in the Atlantic Ocean and a wave toppled the boat and broke the main sail. And John Wesley thought he was going to die. And he looked over on the boat and he saw a group of Moravians holding hands and they were singing. And when the sun finally came back out, he said, what's wrong with you people? Didn't you think you were going to die? How could you sing at a time like that? And they said, oh, John... We were singing because if we die, we know where we're going. Singing, music, it can make us lose control in the best ways possible. Through the Holy Spirit, during music, we're somehow grabbed and pushed and prodded or shook. And all of a sudden, everything that we've been missing or ignoring comes to the surface. We lose control of the control we so desperately cling to. And sometimes music reminds us of the most beautiful truth of all, that we're never really in control. Most of us here have a really hard time with that really hard time with that. Perhaps it's because most of us have come of age in a world we are told again and again that you have to be in control, that life is up to you, and that if you lose control, you lose everything. Paul implores the hearers and the readers of this letter to not be distracted by things that claim to fill but only leave us empty, and he uses music as an alternative And it would be so easy to end the sermon here and just say, hey friends, go home, put on your favorite record. Go listen to an Aretha Franklin song. Enjoy some music. Come back next week. We'll have a hymn sing. We'll sing all of your favorite hymns in church. It would be so easy if that's all it took. But it's more than that. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, singing and making a melody to the Lord together, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are filled by the Spirit together. It's not something we can do on our own. And that's the thing that confounds us the most, that we have to have other people The thrust and theme of all of Ephesians is that they and we today are no longer strangers. The community of God called the church is a people together who respond to God together, who sing together. Do you know how hard that is? To wake up in the midst of our frustrations and our failures only to believe that the best way to get through life is to share it with somebody else. I mean, who wants to do that? Who among us wants to stand hand in hand and sing songs knowing full and well that our real lives don't look like what we portray on Sunday morning? Who wants to do that? Well, I think you do. I think you do because you're here. It doesn't mean it's easy. In fact, it's incredibly difficult. Most of the time, it's almost impossible to find the joy and the glamour in it all. But as we live out the ordinary moments of life, as we experience both the mountaintops of joy and the deep valleys of sorrow, we can be filled to overflowing with the Spirit together. That is the call of the church, to be the body, to be a community, a new community in spite of all of our differences. Our call is to be the church in all of its simplicity and all of its complexity and to use Paul's language, time is of the essence Right now is the moment for us to make good on all the opportunities God is giving us to be redeemed in Christ Jesus. We can't afford to waste our time to fill our days with frivolous pursuits or miss this particularly poignant call. Because when we, the church, are out of touch with its vocation, it's like we're stumbling around in the darkness like a bunch of drunks. We might feel a welcome reprieve from life. We might get the hit we need to forget our frivolity. But without our call, we cease to be the church. Do we know, deep in our bones, what we are called to do and who we are called to be? Or are we just stumbling around looking for the next drink? Are we drunk with wine, or with ego, or with money, or with power, or are we filled with the Spirit? Believe it or not, God desires our drunkenness. God wants us to be so filled and fueled by that which we consume that we are forced to rely on the person to our left and to our right as we stumble through life. God hopes and yearns and dreams for us to throw our cares to the wind as we are three sheets to the wind. The time has come for us to lose control, but to be filled with the right kind of spirit. I'm going to end with a story about my son because he's not here. and uh, He's only two, so I've got a short amount of time left that I can tell stories about him before he starts getting angry that Dad preaches about him all the time. Uh, My son is two years old, and for nearly every night of his life, I have read to him a few books, and I have rocked him to sleep and placed him in his bed. He's getting bigger, which makes it harder, but I do it anyway. I read him a couple books and I'll hold him on my chest, and I will rock him to sleep. And over the last two years, we do the same thing every night. I hold my hands behind his back, and I pray. And we pray together. And as I are walking back and forth, I will sing to him a song. And because I'm a pastor, the songs that immediately come to mind are hymns. And so for two years of this child's life, I have held him on my chest, and I have rocked him to sleep to the sound of hymns. Two weeks ago, I was holding him on my chest. I was rocking him back and forth. And I said, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong; They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. And then for some strange reason, I'm sure you all know this, you know, I forgot the next verse. I have sung that song a bajillion times in my life. And I couldn't remember what comes next. And so I just continued to rock it and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't say anything. And all of a sudden I heard Jesus loves me still today walking with me on my way Wanting as a friend to give light and love to all who live. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. He knew the second verse. I had never heard him sing. And he knew all the words to the second verse. And so there was a moment of profound clarity. Where I felt God's divine hand on everything in my life. And then I thought, I've got to find out if he knows more. Amazing. Grace, how so sweet the sound. I said, You're a genius, Elijah. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I said, You're a Christian and you don't even know me. I went back and forth singing songs, and he knew all the words. And for a fleeting moment, I thought, Gosh, I am a great dad. I should get an award for this. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized this really has nothing to do with me. In fact, it has everything to do with you. Because for the better part of a year, my son has sat in this sanctuary every Sunday morning and he has listened to you sing those songs. He can't read he can't read from the hymnal. If you look over when, he, when we're all singing hymns, he will stand on the pew where John is sitting and he will hold a hymnal upside down pretending to sing. It's because of you. It's your witness to the songs of our hymnal that have taught him the words that he no longer and does not yet understand or realize. It's because of God working through people like you that my son has learned of those songs. And so all I can think about is the fact that he knows these songs and that he might carry those words with him throughout his life. That he might carry the memory and the witness of people like you who sung and attested to your faith. That it's better to be together. That harmony is possible when you sing together. Be filled. Be filled with the kind of spirit that makes you sing and I promise it can change your life. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen.